This is Silver Star, 1982. Our speaker is our brother John McConville of California, and his general theme is the second epistle of Peter. His last class is called Be Ye Steadfast. Brother McConville. yesterday after our class and he said that I had talked about even if I didn't get into the kingdom of God this life would be better now I don't want that to be misunderstood our Lord was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief this life is a life of tears we are covered with this veil of trouble and sorrow that is upon us when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ there is nothing else but acceptance that we want we do not want to weep and wail and have gnashing of teeth there is no second best to the kingdom of God there is nothing else that counts we should be striving for nothing less than the kingdom of God to be perfect because I am perfect. And if anyone thinks that I was advocating that, well, just this social life is a marvelous thing, it's not. We can get social life in all kinds of activities. You can go around the world wherever you're at and you can find companionship. We don't want that, do we? And we don't want to advocate it in the least little bit. Enjoy the fringe benefit of the truth, but by all means, Take up your cross and follow him. That's our intent. That's the only thing that counts. Let nothing else get in your way. Have no other thought upon your mind. And then another brother came to me and he, he brought with him the Revised Standard Version. And when we were talking in the fifth verse and it says, For this they willingly are ignorant of. And he said, Have you ever read in here? It says deliberately ignorant. It makes it much more stronger. That it's a deliberate ignorance that we are talking about in this verse. And it shows how each of us needs one the other to, to share in the word of God and understand to the fullness what our Lord has left for us. Look, we cannot compromise with sin in, on any level. There is a way that seemeth right to a man, and we don't want that one. We want the way that is laid out by our Lord. And so as we conclude our listening to Peter today, we want to make sure we take everything he's got to say, and don't leave out any parts of it, and make it part of our life. It's well worth the effort well worth the discussion of seeing that these things are so. For beloved, he says in the 8th verse, be not ignorant. Don't be ignorant of this one thing. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. It's almost over. Man, six days of doing as he sees fit. That first day, that first day wasn't God created man. Put him upon the earth, gave him everything he required, and he sinned. He walked away. 
The creation wasn't good enough for him. He wanted to make it over in his own likeness. And so by the second day, God said, I cannot tolerate this any longer. And as Peter has reminded us several times, we must destroy man. The wickedness that he is bringing forth is of no avail. I've left him on his own, and he cannot handle it. And so he destroyed man, and he said, we'll start over again with a new concept. No, not a new one, but a different concept. God knew what man was going to do. And so then in the third day, he gives him a promise, a new promise, a covenant. And he invites man, taking them out of an environment that is still sinful. But he makes it a special channel and he he works salvation through a single nation now. And he gave them specific laws in that third day. He gave them specific laws that they could follow. They could go to, to a writing of God and see what was required of them. But even with this kind of direction, the pastors of that congregation would not hold the people in, in conformity with those laws. And so we find on the fourth day that God says, I've shown you, even if I leave you on your own, you can't make it. If I give you specific laws and I give you the way that you should walk, you cannot hold, you can hold, not hold to the holy, just, good law that I presented to you. And he took that out of the way and he put it down. He says, but I'll show you one more thing. And so on the fifth day, he presented his only begotten son. So that just by grace and truth, man could come to an understanding of the way of God and, and surrender to the will of his, their heavenly father. And Jesus Christ was put in our midst to show us a way in the flesh that we could walk and live with our God. And man, even given that opportunity, what has he done with it? And so the sixth day in which we live, he's about to bring it to an end again. Three times up and three times down. And this life is about to come to a sudden end. And we wait with patience and anticipation for the seventh day. For that time when every man will know the Lord. We're looking for that time when every man will know the Lord. And it's just a short time, brethren and sisters. The day is almost over that we're in. But even then, God says, even if I give you every possible thing that you could have so that no sin will be able to flourish, we'll bind it and hold it fast so it can't escape. We'll not allow it to be gotten away with in this kingdom age. Even if I give you teachers and instructors and a government that is fully righteous, even at that time, at the very end, what happens? Rebellion. You see, there is nothing in flesh that's of any value, brethren and sisters. Let's recognize it for what it is. The value lies in the mental capacity that God has given to us. That moral ability in which we can fill up with the things of God. Let's fill it up. Because that's the only thing that's going to survive. Flesh is going to go. There's going to come a day when there will not, not be flesh any longer. This is a temporary dwelling. It is something that is just given to us for a, a development program to be with our God, to become one with the Father. Don't become reliable to this thing. It, it will fail you every time. 
Don't be ignorant, beloved, of this one thing. One day with the Lord it is a thousand years. And a thousand years is a day. You know, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He's not slack concerning his promise. He doesn't delay. In Hebrew, or Habakkuk, the second chapter. Second chapter. When is all of the wickedness going to be past? We say, how long? And the Lord answers in the second verse. Habakkuk 2 and 2. 2 and 3. Well, 2. The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. At the end it shall speak and shall not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come it will not tarry. It will not tarry. It will surely come. Believe it. It's true. The vision is about to speak. Daniel had a vision. We've seen most of that vision come to pass. The sure word of prophecy that Peter keeps sending us back to is telling us with all the, the loudness that can be rung in spiritual ears that these things will come to pass, surely come. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, at verse 36 and 37. For ye have need of patience that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. But it's after you have done the will of God that you might receive the promise. That's our hope, that you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and he will not tarry. He's not just holding off capriciously. That's not our Lord's way. Not at all. When we read in 2 Peter in the third chapter and at the ninth verse that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering to usward. He's doing this for our benefit. He's waiting for the time when we have that kind of character he can accept as something glorious. He's trying to take out of us the impurity so that our pure mind might be stirred up. So that we might be something that reflects the beauty and the glory of, of Almighty God. We get a little bit of joy now from one another, particularly when one starts studying the Word of God when we see the hope that some are still trying to embrace the truth and walk toward the same things that we've heard and been given to, given for so long. But God is long-suffering to usward. He would not that any should perish. And that's what he says. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is the thing. He's long-suffering. doesn't want us to perish. He wants us to repent. 
And we all need that. I know you sin like I do. I know we take advantage of our situation so many times. But repentance is the thing that we've got to. We've got to, brethren and sisters. Make a part of our life. Matthew, the third chapter, in the eighth verse. Make it the seventh verse, when John the Baptist saw the religious people of his day coming to him. And he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to his baptism in Matthew 3 and 7. He said unto them, Oh, generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Is that all you're trying to do is get out from under wrath? Well, if you want to do that, bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. That's the message. There has to be more than just coming to Christ. One has to come in repentance. Ninth chapter of Matthew. And at verse 13. Go ye, says Jesus Christ, and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's taken right out of Hosea, isn't it? Prophet had the same problems that we do. People were religiously inclined, it looked like. People were coming and bringing their sacrifices to God. But they weren't bringing mercy to God. They weren't showing the kindness to God that he was showing to them. Oh, they brought an animal. Well, that one's a scrawny. It can't do me any good anyway. He says, you give that to your king and see if he'll, he'll accept that. He won't do it. Let's show mercy to our God as he's shown to us. Kindness isn't a one-way street. It goes both ways. As he's given to us, we give to him. Repent. Luke, the 15th chapter. And the 7th verse. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. Oh, I hope you don't need repentance. But I need to repent. I find the more I learn, the less I know the more I realize the imperfection of flesh and the absolute grace that is required by God in order to get me into the kingdom. Let's not tolerate sin in our lives. Let's set an example of our Lord and Savior for all around us to see. Repentance is what's required. Acts, the 11th chapter, the story is right from the beginning of time. It isn't just Peter that was 
carrying this message. It's God who is putting it forth to us and will give, not give up giving it until the last trump has sounded. And when the brethren in Jerusalem heard these things of what was happening among the Gentiles, they held their peace and they glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance, and it's repentance unto life unto a new existence. It's a repentance unto life. That's what is offered in the 26th chapter of, of Acts. And at the 20th verse, a repentance unto life, yes. 26th chapter of Acts and at the 20th verse. But he showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles. And what was it that he showed? That they should repent. And what is repentance? He tells you. You turn to God. And just turning to God is not enough. Do works meet for repentance. That's the order, brethren and sisters. Any other order is humanistic. It's originated in the minds of man. That's repentance. That they should repent, turn to God, do the works, meet for repentance. There is nothing less that one can do. We know that's a fact. When we came to the waters of baptism, did we come in an unrepentant mind? Were we just sorry for the things we've done? No. We had determined to bury the old man. And it didn't, didn't matter what was required. We would be gladly, we would be glad to bury the old man. And then we turned to God and did works meet for repentance. We couldn't just say, yes, I'm going to bury the old man, but I'm not going to be baptized. We couldn't just say, yes, I'm going to be baptized, I'm going to turn to God, but I'm not going to break bread. We couldn't just say, I'm going to be baptized and I'm going to break bread, but I'm not going to live the truth. No, we do works meet for repentance. We have to show in our life that what we're saying in our heart is an absolute fact. That's what he's trying to tell us. Romans, the second chapter. That's the kind of repentance the scripture talks about. Second chapter of Romans, and at the fourth verse. First verse, it says you're an inexcusable man if, if you judge other people and you don't do your own, make your own life right, he says, or do you despise thou the riches of God's goodness and his forbearance? and the long-suffering as he's waiting right now in the days as it was in the days of Noah. His long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God, this little time that we've got left, this goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? 2 Corinthians, 7th chapter. 2 Corinthians, 7th chapter. Verses 9 and 10. Paul, after he had written to the Corinthians before, to an ecclesia that we know had all kinds of spiritual problems, where we learn so much on how to live our life today because those same problems exist in flesh wherever it is. He now writes in the seventh 
chapter and at verses 9 and 10, now I rejoice. Not that I made you sorry. I didn't give you a, a, a downcast nature. That's not why I rejoice. But that you sorrowed to repentance. Oh, everybody's sorry when they're caught in sin or caught in anything. Everybody is sorry. Nobody wants to get caught. But it isn't that kind of sorrow we're concerned about. It's the sorrow to repentance, to that turning, to go to God and change your works, do that which is right. For you are made sorry, he says, after a godly manner. After a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. The things that we laid upon you were not for our benefit. They were really not for God's benefit. They were for your benefit. That you might be brought nigh unto God and get forgiveness. I rejoice for that. The tenth verse, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Salvation is yours. Salvation from a body that is decaying and dying and has no future. That's yours. That's the kind of godly sorrow. It works out repentance to salvation. And that's not to be repented of. That's something you want to never turn from. Salvation is, a, is the only thing that's, that's offered to us of any value. But the sorrow of the world? Oh, they're sorry all the time. But that's not enough. Sorrow must lead to repentance. And Peter, in his last plea with us, telling us to be steadfast in the things of God, says, Look, God is not willing that any should perish. In that ninth verse, the third chapter, Second Peter, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We shouldn't be sinners. We're not sinners. When we're baptized into Christ, we're elevated into sainthood. But nonetheless, brethren and sisters, why do we have at the right hand of God right now? Why do we have Jesus Christ as a high priest trying to minister unto those who are heirs of salvation? Because he knows what we are. He knows the frailty of this flesh. He knows that with all the endeavor and the striving that we want to do, we cannot accomplish this on our own. Oh, we have to be righteous. We have to be righteous. But our righteousness does our filthy rags. You know it, I know it, Peter knew it. And so Peter, in his last effort, tells us in the tenth verse that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Jesus Christ is coming as a thief to us. 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. Verse 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you don't have any need that I write unto you, do you? 
of the times and the seasons, brethren, you don't need that I write unto you, says Paul, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night, unexpectedly to the world. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman and every man holds his stomach. They shall not escape. But you, brethren, brethren, you, you're not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. We're all the children of light, the understanding of the sure word of prophecy that's been left for us. We go over it and over it and over it, don't we? We never just set it aside and let it become something that becomes stale or that we get tired of hearing. We're children of the light, the word of God. We're children of the day. We're not of the night, nor of the darkness. And therefore, we don't sleep. We don't get lackadaisical. We don't get complacent. We don't just sit back to take it easy. We take up the word of God and we go forth with the sword and we swing it in front of us and behind us to anybody who will listen to it. We are not going to allow Christ to come into this life as a thief to us unexpectedly. We're going to stand on the edge of our, of our precipice, waiting expectantly for the call to come to go and ready to leave at a moment's notice. Nothing here hindering us from leaving to go to our God. This is something that clutches at our heart right now. Oh, tear it thence, we sing, and we mean that. Tear it out, however hard it feels right now, however ache aches and pains you have now, get rid of it so that it is not holding us back when we have to go to stand before Jesus Christ. These heavens that we're living in, they're going to pass away. You know what the heavens are. Matthew, the 24th chapter, Jesus Christ told us about it. Peter isn't bringing forth a new gospel. He had been converted by his Lord. He had let the word of God dwell in him, in him until he wasn't standing under his own power. And in the 24th chapter of Matthew, and at verse 29, we read, that immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. We know what that is, don't we? We don't have to be told that the political heavens in which we live are going to go, that the Jewish heavens that we see are going to fall right now in our day. They're going to fall just as they did back in the days of the coming of Jesus Christ in A.D. 70. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, those things we see right in front of us, which have already started, where men's hearts are already ready beginning to fail for fear, immediately after those days, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Who is that? Who is it that's going to be in the political heavens? You! You're the Son of Man. Oh, you're just part of the body, I know. But our head is coming to claim the body. Our head is going to stand on that body and work with it and perform the things that we read here. The sign of the Son of Man in heaven, he's moving into his kingship. He's going to take us with him. 
These heavens are about to go. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and when they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven, the clouds of heaven, heavenly clouds with power and great glory. And then he's going to send his angels with a great sound. His angels, his messengers. He's going to send his messengers. Where? And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds of heaven. Oh, we know who that is. Zechariah, the second chapter, sixth verse. He's going to gather his elect from the four heavens, from the four winds. Second of Zechariah, the sixth verse. Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord. For I have spread you abroad, you the Israelites, my own people, my own my son whom I called. I'm going to spread you abroad to the four winds of heaven, saith the Lord. And here Christ picks that up and he says, I'm going to gather his elect, mine own elect, from the four winds of heaven. We know who that is. From one end of heaven to the other, Deuteronomy, the third, 30th chapter. We know this, but we're going to stir up our pure minds so that we're ready, we're awake, we're alive to the coming of, of our Lord and Master. We want to be with that body. We want to be part of that. Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter, verse 4. And again, Moses has told them from God, the Jewish people, these words. And he says in the fourth verse, For if any of thine be driven out unto the outmost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from thence will he fetch thee, and we're going to see the Jews fetched back. Oh, we've seen a, go, a going back to Israel now, and it's thrilled us to the core. We've seen that. It's let us know that that fig tree is blossoming and that our work is just in front of us. It's let us know that the day is almost upon us where we're going to be changed once and for all and undertake this work for our Lord to go and get the rest of his people from the four corners of the earth, from the heavens, and bring them back where the Lord has scattered them. Oh, we're not confused by these words, are we, in Second Peter, the third chapter? We're not confused by them, even though the religious people of our day are so confused, where they think the heavens are going to be destroyed. The literal heavens are going to be wiped out. Oh, the foolish babbling of men is nothing to be accounted of. Take the word of God, the sure word of prophecy. Listen to our beloved apostles as they want to entreat us. For the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Elements, what are they? Galatians, the fourth chapter. They're the beginnings. They're the, they're the simple things, the ABCs upon which everything is built. Galatians 4. At verses 3 through 9. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. We were slaves to this environment, to the things of this world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under law, to redeem them that were under law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. 
then in the ninth verse, but now after that we have known God, or rather I know of God, how turn we again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire to be in bondage? Now it doesn't matter whether those elements refer to a Jewish order of things or a Gentile order of things. It doesn't matter. How come we would desire to be under elements that are not pertaining to the kingdom of God. How come? He tries to plead with the Galatians. Paul had established them. His heart was with these people. They were his children. He was a father unto them. He said so. And so as a true father, he had to go to them and he had to tell them exactly what they were doing wrong. He had to plead with them. He had to spank them. He had to do whatever it takes to make them awake to the fact that they were turning from the one that they had been given life by. We know what the elements are. Colossians, the second chapter. And at the eighth verse, Colossians 2 and 8. Beware. Beware, says Paul, lest any man spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit. The thinking of man is just an empty thing. It's of no value. They'll come up with all kinds of complicated, hard-to-understand philosophy. You know, three in one, one in three. Very God, very flesh, very nonsense. They say you don't believe that, you go straight to hell, and they're so right. That's exactly where they're going. They don't believe it because the very last sentence says it's a mystery. Believe in a mystery. Don't do it. The mystery has been revealed to us. We are the novitiate to whom these things have been poured out. But if we don't look at them, if we don't dwell upon them, we'll never know. 820th verse of that second chapter. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments, the elements of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Like taste not, touch not. Why are you subject to those kind of elements? We're dead to those things. These elements are no longer part of our life. Hebrews, the fifth chapter, and at the twelfth verse. And I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, and he continues. In the, fifth, in the 12th verse of the 5th chapter, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first, the elemental things, the principles of the oracles of God, and have become such as have need of milk and not of strong drink. Why is that? Is it because we have no desire to grow up into the fullness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Is that verse written just for a handful of brethren who are supposed to get down to the study of the word and disseminate it? No. That verse is written for every person in this room. Why is it that we've been baptized, he's saying, and had the milk of the word to bring us to our growth and to feed us? Why is it that we're still fumbling around or or dripping around with milk instead of taking strong meat? Is it because we're just too lazy? 
We don't want to be weaned. You've got great capabilities, brethren and sisters. You've been called by Almighty God because he knows you can respond to the word. He knows you can understand it. He hasn't called you to something that you can't comprehend. He hasn't called you to something that is far beyond you that you can't handle. No. He's called you to a very basic, simple program. And he knows that you've got tremendous capabilities and he's given you enough meat in this book so that you can grow from the milk into something strong and virile so that you can support somebody else. And you can. Don't ever downgrade yourself. You can support somebody else. And every child that grows up in this world starts out on the milk. And he grows and he wants that attention. But sometimes, some way, he is pushed out. Sometimes he has to stand on his own two feet and he has to walk. Sometimes that child has to run. Sometimes he has to set up housekeeping for himself and he has to start a family of his own and he has to be able to support them and carry them forth to fruition. Now, none of us have the right, none of us, to just sit back in our father's house and take, take, take for the rest of our life. Because if we do that, we'll take nothing but death with us to the grave. Are we going to be satisfied with the elemental things? The elements of this world are going to be destroyed. They're the simple things that, that only lead us to God. Burned up. The earth has got to go. We have to be totally consumed. This earth is going to be consumed. If we don't want to be consumed, then we have to be consumed with the word of God now so that people can see no vestige of this life in us. None. They want to see in every expression and every word something that is beyond their capabilities, something that is spirit, something that is high and lofty, I didn't call you to this kind of a, an existence. Peter didn't call you to this kind of existence. It was God who called you and me. That we should walk in newness of life. Be ye steadfast, brethren, in these things. For everything around us is going to be burned up. And, and fire seems to be the thing, doesn't it? Matthew, the 13th chapter. Matthew 13, verse 30. There was a parable, wasn't there? A man sowed good seed in his field, and the weeds and the tares were with the wheat. And God says, the master says, those who are taking care of the vineyards, the fields, let both grow together, the 30th verse, until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares, bind them in bundles, and burn. And if we were to stop there, 
the fear that we would have would be intolerable. But there is wheat. Gather the wheat into my barn. Fire is the indication of total consumption. It's going to be removed. It's going to be absolutely annihilated. And that's the picture that's painted by Peter. It's the picture that's painted by our Lord. In the 40th verse of the same chapter, Matthew 13, he says, Therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, and so shall it be at the end of this world. Are we tares? Do we look like wheat? Are we allowed to stay in this field just so that we are, don't really destroy or hurt anything around us? But is it going to be our lot that even though we look like wheat that we're going to be bound in bundles and burned? Or will we be gathered into the barn? We want to be in the barn. Not a mansion. Who wants a mansion? We want to be in the barn of God so that he can feed us to the world. He can keep the world alive for that last day. We want to be of value to God so that he can disseminate us out among the nations and teach them the way that they should go. But to be burned. It's going to happen. Revelation, the 17th chapter. You know it. You know it just as sure as I do. You know it. Revelation 17. Verse 16. God used sinners, wicked, evil people, to punish sinners, wicked, evil people. He's done it all the way through the history, and he's shown us examples of it from the beginning of this of the account in the Bible. And here in the 17th chapter and at the 16th verse, it says, The ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast shall hate the whore. Are you confused by those words? We shouldn't be, should we? We know what the ten horns represent. We're told what the, right in this chapter, we're told. You, we don't need confusion about that. The beast, again, it's defined for us if we will just read to hear and heed. We don't need to have that defined. And the whore, we know who she is. And it says the ten horns shall hate the whore, even though they've given support to her for a while. They hate the whore. Shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Annihilation. We want no association with that kind of an animal, that kind of a person, that kind of a system. We want no association with that because that too along with the tares, is going to be burned up. It says so. We accept the word of God. The 18th chapter, and at the 8th verse, Therefore shall her plague come in one day. One day, the Lord's day, when the Lord is elevated and man is put down. One day, death, mourning, and famine, she shall be utterly burned with fire, for, the, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. And he's going to judge her with the, the wickedness of the world and by the saints of God who have been gathered into his barn. All the earth and also the works that are therein shall be burned up. There is no hope. There is no hope for this world. It has got to go and it is going. It will cease to exist. 
seeing then, he says in that 11th verse, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, melted, same word, what manner of person ought we to be in all holy behavior, conversation, behavior, in God's likeness. And he takes us right back to the beginning of his words. He encourages us to look at the things he started out with, having given us all of the examples of the things that are going to happen. He says, what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy behavior? Are we doing anything? Is our behavior in any way reflecting this world right now? Can you think of one thing in your life that you would not want Jesus Christ to look at at the judgment seat? That you would not want him to expose to the one sitting next to you? Can you think of one thing that you don't want anybody to know about because it's so vile in your own life? Burn it up. Now is the time to judge ourselves that we be not judged. Burn it up. Just one thing. Get rid of that. Take care of the next thing tomorrow. But right now, if you can think of one thing, get rid of it. Don't Amuse yourself with the joy of sin. You know, the sin is a pleasure. Get rid of it right now. Our behavior has to be in all God-likeness. Nothing short of that is acceptable. God-likeness. Holy behavior. God-likeness. For we look in the 12th verse, for we look for and hasten unto the coming of the day of God. We're not frightened by what the future holds out to us. We don't revel in the idea of destruction, but we're looking for. We're looking beyond this life. We're looking for, hastening that day for it to come when all of the corruption around us will be done away with. We look, we haste unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens shall be on fire and shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Look for that day. Long for the day. Cry unto your God, how long, O Lord? That day ushers in your salvation. That day brings him whom you've never seen, but whom you've talked with day after day after day. That day is going to bring back to us loved ones who have gone before us and are laid in the grave. We're going to witness again those beautiful people we've been associated with standing up anew one more time. And that day is going to bring a change for this worldly nature to be Destroyed forever. Look and hasten unto the day when flesh and its associated things, its works are going to be destroyed. Nevertheless, he says in verse 13, nevertheless, we according to his promise, you believe the promises of God? Sure you do. You believe the promises of God and we do. Look for such things. We, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth 
sorry, Brother Mansfield, I can't stay out of Isaiah. Isaiah 65. I won't say much. Isaiah 65, verse 17. A new heavens and a new earth, that's what we want. It's the thing that we look for, long for, and we look past the day that we're in. 65th chapter of Isaiah, 17th verse. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. We'll never bring it back to remembrance then. And the people that come alive in that day will have no inkling of this kind of existence as we're going through because it's a new heaven and a new earth and you're going to be a part of it. We're going to be the makings of this new heavens and this new earth. And in the 66th chapter and at the 22nd verse, for as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. Are you part of that seed of Abraham? You've been baptized into him and you've become an heir of salvation? Are you part of that seed? That new heaven's coming for us. That new heaven is us. Oh. Peter, Peter, Peter. Peter, wherefore, beloved, he says to us, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent. And he's back to that first chapter. Be diligent. That's the only thing of any value, that you might be found in peace. There is no peace for the wicked. And we can't have peace with all men, but as much as lieth in us. We live peaceably with all men. We don't go out looking for a fight. We go out to join people to God even as we in peace are joined to him. But we can't live peaceably with people who are going contrary to the will of God. We cannot do it. But we look that we might be found in Christ in peace. Without spot. As we walk through life and our garments get soiled, what do we do about it? We cleanse them through the blood of Christ, through our high priest who is waiting for doing, to do just that job. And blameless. Everyone is to blame. Unless he's got Jesus Christ covering. Unless that blame that we, we deserve, that we, we have in our very natures, unless that is removed by our God, there is no way we can be blameless, but we can. And that's the joy of the message that comes to us. We can be blameless. And we account, in that 15th verse, we account, we reckon that this long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. That's right. The reason it is still going on, the reason that life is still proceeding, even though I looked for him 20 years ago, maybe 40 years ago for some of you, look for the return of Christ. The long-suffering of God is for salvation. That maybe a couple more might join us in the walk that leads unto this salvation that can give us the escape from death. We count that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, whom we've listened to as well with Peter, haven't we, this week. Peter and Paul joined together to tell us these marvelous messages. And according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto us. 
That's the thing we have, brethren and sisters. It's the thing we've got to share. It's the message that has come out of God's word. Now, in the 16th verse, he says, that you also in all his epistles, or as also in all his epistles, speaking of in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, not that they can't be understood, but that they're hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, that is, those scriptures of the Old Testament, to their own destruction. They take the word of God and they rest it because they're a little hard to consider. They're a little hard to, to take into their life. What do you mean, sell all that thou hast and give it to the poor and come and follow me? What do you mean, count all things as dung that you might win Christ? I've got a good job. I've got respectability. I've got a nice home. I've got all the comforts that this life can give me, whether I'm away from home or in home. I've got everything. What do you mean? It's too hard. If your hand offends, you cut it off. Pluck out my eye. Don't rest. The scriptures, brethren and sisters, that's for people who will not surrender to the scriptures. We need help, and the help is available. Can I just ask you right now, just to bow your heads for a word of prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, Thou who has given us this life and has called us unto greater things than our eye could ever imagine, help us to be steadfast unto the end. Give us the courage and the knowledge to hold fast until he comes. Strengthen thou mine unbelief and those of all of us who strive, who want, who yearn to be one with thee. And forgive us our shortcomings. For we come to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, Fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. On your behalf, I would like to thank our brother John for his very inspiring words that